Welcome to People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose is a podcast of inspiring people whose stories help you see things differently, live with intentionality, elevate the way you participate in the world, and take the necessary leaps in your life to seek and find your passions. Come with us and develop the courage to wholeheartedly pursue your purpose and unleash your truest potential. Hi, welcome back to People of Purpose. I'm your host, Tanner Badgley, and this week we will be wrapping up our conversation on loving our actual neighbors. If you didn't get a chance to listen to last week's episode, I highly encourage checking that out. Some of the things we covered are her journey on searching for the thing to do during her younger years, how she gives us a glimpse of the nine-month experiment she did to rekindle the love of her ordinary actual life. She also shares how she became a Christian and how Jesus influences her to be who she is today. And lastly, Alexandra tells us her thoughts on being a good mom and raising children in faith, purpose, and flexibility. And in this episode, we will be covering her thoughts on the challenges faced in society, such as loving our neighbors, how she puts herself in a loving way that has an impact on others, her book, Loving My Actual Neighbor, and the four-week challenge that will help us move towards loving our neighbors, and ultimately ending with the touching story of her neighbor, Betty. Let's dive in. Here's to becoming people of purpose. There's people that need to be served that are in those spaces that are hurting and that are lost and that are broken and they need to hear the message that you have and then vice versa. Like you, you need to like understand how to connect with, with other people um, Mm -hmm. because, you know, otherwise we fall into this trap of like only Americans are people I trust or only white people from this neighborhood. I don't know. It seems to be like at a core of a lot of what we're facing as a society right now, in in my opinion, what do you Mm -hmm. think about all this? Like, I remember you at the beginning of the, before we recorded, you kind of said we should talk about this, some of the challenges that we're facing as a society around just not being able to like really love our neighbors so well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? Well, I think in some ways, well, in lots of ways, it is a gift to live in the United States. So I don't know if most of your listeners are here in the U.S., um, but we are in a unique moment right now. Globally, we're in a unique moment. I mean, global pandemic. Hello. It's it's a new thing for most of us. Um, but then in the last month here in the U.S., we've been talking about race in new and open ways for lots of people. Now, I want to say for lots of people, because lots of people have been talking about race for a long time, but not everybody has been listening. and. Um, it is bringing up some tension points and that's why the conversations haven't happened because those tension points have been there for centuries. So in my book, Loving My Actual Neighbor, I lay out seven practices. And the first one, which we've talked a lot about, is really holding a posture of humility and remembering what that does is it, it reminds us where we stand in the universe So it is remembering that God is God and I am not. And it also is remembering that my neighbor is made in God's image in in exactly the same way that I am made in God's image. It just manifests itself differently. And that is a starting place for all of these conversations. Because if we don't recognize other people's equal value, before God, 
the conversations aren't going to go well. So no matter where you stand on a particular issue, no matter what type of neighbor you're having a tension point with, we each have to do our own heart work and ask God, help me to have eyes to see how my neighbor is made in your image and help humble me as I go in with all of my ideas and opinions and help me to see where my opinions come from. Because we're all wired from birth to have a certain worldview. Just like when I was 14 and I thought, how come no one's ever told me this before? I was being molded by the experience of the world that I had been given that my parents were offering me, that my classmates and schoolmates were offering me, that my experiences were offering me. And so we we need to let go of the guilt that we have the worldviews that we do because we've been molded by them. At the same time, God gives us free will and he gives us minds to think about things. And that leads to the next practices in the book of uh, asking questions to learn and being quiet to listen. And so we do have a responsibility to know better and to do better. So we can recognize, okay, this has been wired to me. Maybe it's a bias I have. That's not uh, mean-spirited. It just is something that, yeah, I assume X about person Y, because this is true of them. You know, like we just have to be really, really honest and it cannot Sometimes it really doesn't feel good, but God is with us in it. And he already knows that he already knows that about us. So to confess it to him, maybe confess it to somebody else and say, you know, I've realized I have assumptions about people that are based in this life experience, or this is what I was taught, or this is what I wasn't taught. And so we have to be willing to go into those hard places with God in our hearts and minds, but then we have to be willing to learn and know better and do better. Um, and then it, it gets into the next practices in the book, which is standing in the awkward. A lot of this is going to be uncomfortable and accepting what is. There are a lot of things that we don't like that we don't have control to change. So what can we change? Usually it has to do with us right? And what we have control over in our little worlds, our little circles of influence. And then um, being willing to be uncomfortable in as we have conversations with our neighbors that are different than us in whatever way um, to, to recognize it's going to feel weird because I'm not going to know what to say and I'm not going to, or maybe I'm going to say the wrong thing and I'm going to have to apologize for it coming out the wrong way. Well, that's the way forward. And God is with us in that. And we don't have to be afraid of it. And we can go on like we've been going on. Let's talk specifically about race. We can choose as white people to pretend like nothing uh, is wrong in our country. That's the way a lot of people have coped for decades, centuries, generations. And this is where it's gotten us. Or we can ask some questions and have humble hearts and listen, be sit in our discomfort and be uncomfortable, maybe for a very long time. But it's through relationships and through that discomfort that we can start to say, okay, what can I influence in this discussion? And what is out of my control? And what do I just have to accept? 
And then the last two practices are um, accepting what is, let's see, I have to remember, lightening up and uh, living and giving freely. So being generous. And so we can go heavy really fast in these discussions, but what we need to remember as we have individual relationships with our neighbors, and when I use the word neighbor, it could be the people that live right around us, but it could also be the guy who works in the office next to you or the mom who's in the preschool line, pickup line after you every day and parks her car and you guys kind of exchange pleasantries, but don't go very deep. It's those people that we have a little bit of superficial relationships with that we want to go a little bit deeper and that we maybe have some assumptions about because we don't know them very well. Um, that sometimes the best way to connect with people is through the light and the funny and to recognize, you know, you're a mom, I'm a mom. I can't believe that we've had 17 snow days or I can't believe we're living through a pandemic and our kids can't go to the playground or whatever it is that common bond that is going to be a starting place for a relationship or in an office environment. Um, you're, you know, in Denver, everybody's a Broncos fan. So it's just dumb stuff like that, that I say dumb Broncos fans take that personally. But for me, the, the Broncos aren't a big thing, but they are to some of my neighbors. So how do I connect with them over little things that we all experience? I mean, that's why people have talked about the weather for generations, because it is a common denominator. We're all experiencing the same weather. And so it's a starting place uh, to, to just be the beginning to then go back and ask some of those harder questions. Cause the truth is a lot of people, they don't want to be your token, whatever friend and have you go really deep into conversations about race or homosexuality. Like they don't want to be that token person in your life. What they want is an honest relationship. And so that means what would, if this factor was gone, what would we be friends about? Well, we'd be friends because we both have kids on this soccer team, or we'd be friends because um, we both like to garden and you're my neighbor and I see that you're working in your garden and I'm working in my garden. And to find that common ground and you'll get to the heavy stuff if you continue in the relationship, it may take years and that's okay because if that's the appropriate time it takes, these are issues that take years to work through. They're not instant uh, answers. But the truth is, it's about having a posture of humility, recognizing our neighbors are made in God's image, loving them and getting to know them and their stories. And when you ask questions to learn, it's about getting to a person's story about what does it mean to be um, a woman living in corporate America right now? Or what does it mean to be someone who is in a same-sex relationship? Because I don't know anybody who is. So those are the questions that get to the heart of knowing a person's story. And then when we know their story, we know how to better love them and know their pain points. And we can meet them in their pain points. And um, so I think we're at a crossroads right now um, as a country. And specifically, we're at a crossroads as Christians where we can sweep things under the rug and pretend like those tension points don't exist. Or we can say, you know, God's with us in this. 
This is no surprise to him that these tension points are here, that people are living a certain way or um, have experienced these griefs for generations. This is not news to him. It may be news to us. And so we need to recognize that we've had blinders on, but it's not news to him. And so how do I enter into that sacrificial love with people that maybe I don't know very well, or often it's people we do know well, but we've had topics that we haven't been willing to talk about um, because it's too uncomfortable. Maybe this is the moment where we say, I'm willing to get a little bit uncomfortable, not to have conflict, not to convince somebody of my opinion, which I'm not saying we, we leave our opinions at the door. We still are people with opinions, but is expressing my opinion in a certain way, loving my neighbor more right now or hurting them more right now? And what is the most loving thing to do or say? And what is the most loving way to do it or say it? That doesn't mean we, we aren't supposed to say hard things. We can say hard things in a very loving way, but the context has to be there and the depth of relationship has to be there uh, for people to be able to hear it. That's so beautiful. I love everything you just said. So as people that are, that are kind of, I don't know, maybe oriented more towards coaching or, or are in a kind of a coaching relationship with certain people in our life. I'm assuming you are in some small ways. I, I definitely find myself in that position, just being blessed to kind of know these things about purpose and be able to like live in that headspace and read books like, like the one you you've written and stuff. I, I'm imagining we've both kind of done lots of that work. Um, when you're kind of seeing somebody struggling because of, because of themselves, their own self is in the way they're doing, they have self-limiting beliefs, they have negative self-talk, they're in a destructive habit pattern. How do you, how do you put yourself in that in a loving way that, that actually doesn't like coddle them and actually has some sort of like impact in their life that's, you know, you, you kind of understand what I'm asking? Like, how I do, do you have those uncomfortable conversations with people that would typically resist 99% of them because everyone wants to talk to them about how they should change their life? Right. Right. So I think that that is part of it is what, what is the nature of the relationship that you have with that person? Um, because like I said, we can have opinions about people's choices and about the fallout that is happening as a result of their choices, good and bad. Um, but if they haven't invited us into that space to give our opinion, but they are coming to us as a friend to vent their grief, for example. Um, if the fallout of a decision is one that is causing them grief, then to be with them in that grief without giving an answer uh, for a period of time. And that is where it's going to feel uncomfortable for us because in our mind, we're going to think, you know, if you would just change this, life would be a lot better. Um, and so it's a way to help them come to their own conclusions. And that's asking questions. How has this worked for you? Is there something about this? Let's say it's a, someone's coming after a hard breakup and you're like, well, that's no shock because I could have told you when you started dating this person that it wasn't going to end well. Um, <laughs> 
that's probably not going to be helpful, but to ask. That's a great example. Yeah. Ask questions like, so what about this person do you think wasn't a good fit? What do you think made you, uh, what was attractive to you about this person? Do you think you were attracted to something that about the not good fit? That is something that you need to be concerned about for the future. And it's a great question. So to, and again, really easy for me to be thinking of these questions as we're talking about it theoretically, and I'm not feeling emotional with the person in front of me, and I'm not feeling conflict and like annoyed that they're in this position to start with because I could have told them this was a bad idea. But it's very easy to think about these things now. So I want listeners to know it's much harder in your real world, in your actual life, to come up with thoughtful questions. But maybe that is part of the exercise is to come up with the questions ahead of time. If you know that you're going to go into a conversation with someone that's going to cover some hard stuff, because then you're in a better headspace yourself, you have more clarity, you can pray through it. You can think these are the, this is the direction I would like the conversation to go. And this is the tone I would like the conversation to have, at least on my end. And when you name those things out loud, like actually write them down or say them to somebody, then you're more likely to carry the conversation in that direction and maintain that tone that you want to have. Um, so I think we have to be careful in, as Christians. It gets back to, again, that parenting paradigm that I thought there's one right way to do it. I think we have to be careful that we think there's one right way to live. And now I'm going to say there are certain things in this world that just are not um, healthy practices and healthy ways. So I'm not, I'm not saying one thing is acceptable and one thing isn't, but I think that God says there are some things that are acceptable and some things that aren't. Um, However, within that, I think there's a lot of room for how people experience God and how they operate in the world. And so I have to get past my preconceived ideas of what's right and what's wrong and ask myself as I'm in conversation with somebody, how are they experiencing God right now? How is God revealing himself to them through this experience? Or what is the potential for him to do that? And uh, it is holding that posture of humility that is so difficult because we do have opinions and they are often based on very good and true things. Um, But when we are in hard conversations, we need to keep that mindset of how am I loving God more right now in this conversation? Am I, if I'm not honoring him, then I need to change something about the way I'm saying things and what I'm saying, because we always want to honor God. And how am I honoring my neighbor who is made in his image? Um, is it, is my tone and the things that I'm saying, uh, are they honoring my neighbor as well? And it's tricky and it's hard. And that's why we don't do it well. And we don't run over to do it. We push things under the rug because that is just easier in the short run, but that's not God honoring and it's not neighbor honoring to run away from discomfort if we are called to be in those spaces. It takes so much emotional intelligence and emotional regulation um, just from your own self 
to relate to your own self. And then you also have to do it to relate to another person who may, may be lacking emotional regulation, emotional intelligence, oftentimes. Right. And it's unfortunate that in our society, we're not really educated in that in some <laughs> formal way. We just kind of, you know, we maybe find somebody like, like an Alexandra that can teach us about emotional intelligence when we're like four years old, like your daughters probably have gotten the blessing of. But oftentimes you go through life and you don't really have that kind of influence till later on. Um, and you can feel like like a raw, like, you know, child, like around this topic. And it can be really something hard to face. And I think that's like at the core of a lot of this, too, is that we're not really trained in in like looking at our emotions in an honest way, in a humble way and recognizing that, that that's okay that we feel just uncomfortable even towards ourselves, or that we have anxiety about who we are right now because we're all in a process of being made into somebody that is in you know God's image. Um, you, we have to be humble to that process. And part of it is recognizing your all these shortcomings that you have and have had so far. Yeah, and recognizing that God is with us in it. Like it's not when we, we live in a performance culture um, as Americans. And so we think as Christians, okay, God's going to love me or I'm going to be acceptable to him when X happens. And to say God is with us in it right now, he knows all of our processes better than we do. He knows where we are and where we're headed. And so to accept his love in that mess is really hard for a lot of us because we feel like I'll be ready to kind of be presentable in front of him when I have all my stuff together. And okay, newsflash, we're not going to have all of our stuff together this side of heaven. We're, we're in process and we're going to be better, hopefully, tomorrow than we are today. But the nature of sin is that there's always going to be part of us that needs a savior. And so to accept that today mm. is going to make today a lot easier and a lot more manageable. I love that. Why did you choose the word practices in the title of your book? I'm really curious about that because I'm asking because as you're saying all these things, and like you already said, it, it makes sense to think about the theoretical element. And logically, this makes sense to say to like step into grief before you really try to like... Um, change a person and to you know, our tone is important but what are those practices like like yeah why did you choose the word practices because yeah. it is it seems to be something we have to like practice and fail at and practice and fail at before we can get kind of get better right but should we be role-playing this with people we do trust should we be you know laying in our bed going through these scenarios endlessly should we just get out mm -hmm. there and, and start doing it like how, do, how does it look in, in practicality yeah. Well, so I'll answer first why practices and then two, how do we start? So I named them practices just for what you said. We're not good at them. And the truth is we're never going to be perfect at them. We just have to keep practicing over and over and over. And the hope is that our muscle memory will kick in and we will start doing these things more naturally. It will be our instinct to ask questions to learn instead of telling ourselves, okay, this would be a good time for me to ask an open-ended question. Um, because if we've never done them before, then they feel clunky. It's just like one of my girls learning a new sports skill. She doesn't do it well to start with. Then it 
is a little awkward and she's learning. And then it becomes more natural and more natural until she's in the game. And it just is her instinct to respond that way. That's what we're trying to get to. She's never going to do that skill perfectly, but the more she practices, the more of a natural instinct it's going to be. And so that's why I named them practices that we have to practice them, but also that we're never going to be uh, perfect at them. We just have to keep going with the hope that they're going to become more natural. And then for each of the seven, I have lots of really easy bite size starting places in the book. Um, so at the end of every chapter, I say, here's 10 things you can do to implement this practice in your actual life. And then at the back of the book for each practice, I also have, here's 10 more things you can do for these practices. And then on my website, if somebody wants to just start with the practices, there's a four week challenge where every day there's a different implementation of one of the seven practices. So um, it may not seem obvious, oh, this goes with this practice, but it was very intentional that each week you go through the seven practices for four weeks with very bite-sized ways of loving your neighbor. And it could be something like going on a walk around your neighborhood and leaving your phone at home because then you're less distracted and you're better able to observe and listen with all five senses. So you may not think of that as being quiet to listen, but it's just a practical way of saying, I'm going to cut out some of the noise in my life, the virtual noise or the actual noise, and I'm going to be more present in my space where other people live. So um, if people want that, it's free to download. It's um, My website is just my name and then .com. And then if they look for my book, Loving My Actual Neighbor, they will find um, a free download for that. Perfect. Yeah, I'll put all that in the show notes. I'm going to okay. go do this as well. This is excellent. It's exactly what I need right now in my life. Um, tell me about the story of Betty. I have not read your book. Oh. I, I plan to read it now because this conversation is super intriguing. and This topic is very top of mind for me. What's, what's Betty about? You told me in the, you know, in the preparation yeah. to ask you about this. Who is Betty in your book? So in my book, I call her Betty. That's not her um, a given name, but she was a neighbor of ours here on my block that lived across the street from us. And she lived here when we moved in. So we moved into this house 11 years ago. And, you know, we live in a very diverse urban neighborhood and we love that. Our neighbors are different than us in lots of ways. And it shows us God's richness in how people are created and how they live out their lives and uh, Betty was particularly loud, as in like she spoke in high volume. <laughs> and so we would know that she was back on the block because we could hear her. <laughs> and uh, her dad lived across the street from us and she would come and stay with him for long stretches. And we got the feeling that often when she was gone, it was because she was in jail. And that was because of things that she told me later as I got to know her um, about her life. And as far as common ground, we were both women, adult women, but other than that, it, it would be hard to find a lot of common ground. Um, she had neck tattoos. She um, had a girlfriend. She didn't have children as far as I know. I mean, everything about her life, and she was in and out of jail as far as I could tell, was different than mine. Um, and yet, 
Betty got a place in my heart because she moved in to my heart. And so the first time I met her, I was standing in our garage and the door was open and all of a sudden she was standing next to me and she's an intimidating looking woman. We were about the same height, but there's no question if we were to have a fist fight, she would win. And I don't say that about people, but she just was tough. Like that was, I think she would find the word tough a compliment. She was a tough woman. And, uh, she asked me for some money we'd never met before and I never have cash on me, but that particular day I did, I gave her $20 and I thought, okay, well, if we're in business together, maybe I should know your name and maybe you should know my name. So I introduced myself and my husband later was like, why did you give her money? (laughs) That was not a great move. (laughs) And we're going to see a lot more of her. And she would come over and ask for stuff. Um, often she would ask for rides places and, um, I never gave her money again. I just want the audience to know, like it was in that moment where that probably wasn't the smartest move, but I just bonded. My reflex was like, okay. And it was in my discomfort of not knowing how to respond to have a stranger in my garage asking me for money. Um, I just did it. Um, but in retrospect, I thought that probably wasn't the best thing to do, but Um, after that, she continued to ask and I would say no, as far as money went, but she was always the first one to say hi. So she'd be back on the block and I'd be walking by and I'd notice her and she would yell across the street and say, hi, and I'm back. And, um, she just always was the one to extend the relationship. Um, one year we, uh, were answering the door on Halloween night. People were trick-or-treating. I'm really big into trick-or-treating. And um, I'm not big into Halloween necessarily, but trick-or-treating is the only night of the year when our neighbors literally knock on our door and ask us to bless them. And it is the only night of the year when it's acceptable for us to knock on our neighbor's door and ask for something. And so I, I love trick-or-treating. And Uh, my kids were home. We were done with our rounds of the neighborhood. And so, you know, when the later it gets in the evening, the more, the older the trick-or-treaters tend to get. So it tends to be, you know, after eight o'clock and it's dark, it tends to be teenagers. Some people don't like teenagers trick-or-treating. And again, I'm always like, Hey, come, you want something from me that I can give you? That's an easy ask in my mind. So I love answering the door. There's a knock on the door. We answer it. And it's Betty and she doesn't have any kids with her. She does not have a costume on, but she puts her hand out and she is trick-or-treating. And my kids look at me like, what are we supposed to do? We've never had an adult without a costume on trick-or-treating before. And I look at them and I don't know what to do. Um, And I say, well, she's asking for candy. We have candy. We can give her candy. So we gave her candy and she went on her way. And it was one of those moments where it was awkward for me for a moment until I just decided to roll with it. Like, who cares? Sure, you can have some of the Twizzlers that nobody else chose. Like, it just was a moment where it could have, I could have made a big deal about adults shouldn't be trick or treating, what's wrong with you. But it was such a blatant um, moment of, we just had different expectations around what this holiday was and what this idea of trick-or-treating was. It was a cultural difference. 
And I decided to step into it with her and not make it any more uncomfortable than I was already feeling. Um, and so one day I was, uh, I put my younger two girls in the double jogger and I put a handbrake on in the driveway and I had to run in the house to get something. And I came back outside and there was a lot of screaming and the jogger was gone. And I looked across the street and the handbrake had apparently come undone and the jogger had rolled down the driveway and across the street hit the curb on the other side of the street and flipped over. And because my girls were strapped in, they were upside down, strapped in. Well, Betty had already run over there and she was the one who was screaming. And so I ran over and they were obviously okay. Um, Fortunately, a car hadn't come at that time. And she was trying to right the jogger and flip it back right side up. And my girls were just staring at me silent. And I thanked her, thanked her for responding so quickly, thanked her for yelling for me. And she said, I would never let anything happen to our girls. And that word, our, spoke to my heart in such a wonderful way. Because what she was saying was, I know we're different. You do weird things as this woman who does things that I don't understand, meaning me, but Mm -hmm. we're in this together and you're my neighbor and I'm going to care for you and I'm going to care for your kids in ways that, you know, I didn't ask for it. And in ways that sometimes felt awkward and uncomfortable, but she invited me in and she took care of me in the ways that she could. And she watched out for our family in the ways that only she could. And I don't know, maybe a year after that, uh, I saw a moving truck outside of their apartment and she came over and said, I just wanted to tell you that, uh, daddy died. So her dad was kind of the permanent fixture in their apartment. And so we're moving all of his stuff out and we're leaving. And I wanted to say goodbye and I could see the grief there. And I gave her a hug and I could feel her relax in my arms And the smell of cigarettes was very strong. And even in that small detail to recognize, I just don't hang out with a lot of people who are regular smokers these days. And it just like all the little details of how different we were didn't matter. And she was sobbing and I could feel her body relax. And I remember standing there and thinking, God is watching this. And had you told me five years earlier when we moved into this house that she and I would be standing here and I would be hugging her in this way, I would find that hard to know how we had gotten to that point. But it was to her credit and both of us being willing to say, you know, this is awkward, but we're neighbors and we need to care for each other in the ways that we can. And we may not be able to relate to every aspect of each other's lives, but there is a humanity that binds us. And I know what grief is and you know what grief is. And so in that connection, we can care for each other. And so she was a gift to me way more than I was a gift to her. And she entered my heart and took up space that is only reserved for her at this point. And I haven't seen her since. They moved away and I told her, I'm going to miss you. And um, I will always be glad to see you again. And those things were true and are still true today. 
we do miss her because she was, she added some excitement and some color to our block that has not been the same since she has left. That is a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing that. Yes. Well, I do miss her and I would love for her to pull up. We're just expecting she's going to pull up one day and say, Hey, I was just in the neighborhood and wanted to see the old place. And we will be so excited if she does. Yeah, that'd be great. You should share this clip, this last 10 minute segment with her and see see if she wants to come back. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Uh, One of the last questions I was going to ask, so I don't need to ask anymore, is like, what is the most beautiful thing you've experienced kind of serving your purpose? I would say that this is an excellent answer to that. It's like, it captures so much. Like, I'm feeling some tears happening in my eyes because like when she used the word our, our daughters, like that is, that's a beautiful transformation from where, where things had been before to where things are now. And, um, yeah, I just what would the world look like if we all had one person like that and we were we were that one person to someone right. else like that would be magnificent, you know, feeling for, you know, if we all had a neighbor like that that we could yeah, that we could feel a part of. Well, and the truth is we do we all have somebody. And I would encourage your listeners right now to say who is one person in my life that I have semi-regular contact with, but they're not my immediate go-to in an emergency that I, they're not the person I text um, when I'm in a crisis, Mm -hmm. but I would like to be available to them when they're in a crisis. How can I enter into a deeper relationship with them? And it doesn't have to be today. Those things on that four-week challenge could be first steps. I mean, those are things that we can do specifically for the people that live around us. Mm -hmm. But a lot of them are things we can do for the people we work with, you know, like just sending someone a note saying, I appreciate how you spoke up in the meeting this morning. You really have a voice that needs to be heard. Mm -hmm. I did that with someone, a mom I didn't know very well. A couple of weeks ago, I emailed her, we'd been in a meeting together and I just said, Hey, I really, I didn't get a chance to say this in the meeting, but I think you added a lot. And Mm -hmm. Um, it's just little things like that, that move us into a closer relationship, just like Betty did with me. She just did a lot of little things that made me say, oh, you see me in a way that I want to be seen and Mm -hmm. you're accepting me right now, um, in that. That's gorgeous. Thank you for that. I'm going to do your four week challenge and I will contact you in one month and let you know how, how it's gone for me. Okay. And they're not big things. I mean, some of them, you can take some time to do them um, if you want to do it in a bigger way, but they're all meant to be done in five minutes or less. So this is, mm-hmm. you're not signing up for a huge commitment. Right. It's meant to be a way to engage people and engage your neighbors, maybe in ways you haven't before. Right. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story on People of Purpose today, Alexandra. It's been a oh, quite thanks a Thanks for having me. So fun. Thanks for having me. Yep. So what actionable step are you going to take next? Do you have a lingering question or something you want help working through? Do you need support in doing what it's going to take to live your purpose? People of Purpose is here for you. Subscribe to the podcast and soak in the stories and words of our wonderful guests. If you have any friends that might enjoy this episode or the podcast, bring them on board as a podcast subscriber. If you want to actually see the guests behind the voices, 
as well as the purposeful people and communities I'm a part of around the world, follow the podcasting journey on Instagram at People of Purpose Podcast. You can connect with our purpose-seeking community on Facebook at People of Purpose by liking and following our page. Know the minute each new episode is published, hear first about upcoming People of Purpose opportunities, and receive regular tidbits of inspiration and media I'm purposely perusing, pursuing, and pondering. It's simply a regular dose of goodness, intentionally filtered by me, to nourish your personal path of purpose. For the ultimate engagement, join our intentional group Purpose Seekers from the Facebook page. Join in longer-form discussions, link up with accountability partners, and share in opportunities and challenges to better know and grow in your purpose. Send me a direct message on either Facebook or Instagram if you want to talk privately and receive personalized guidance on how to raise your sales and write your ship. Come forth with your biggest dreams and aspirations, and I will do my best to connect you with the necessary resources and mentors from my network to start your trek along your personal path of purpose. Cheers, and here's to becoming 